0: Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis. No, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. And kind of hold your finger there. If you have a bookmark, put it there. We're going to start out. Today's teaching, there, because obviously we're going to go back to the beginning, go back to the Genesis. Um, But before we read the text, uh, I believe there's a few reasons that we're going to be talking about this morning. Number one, so we can understand and know how to talk to our children about this. Hopefully, you'll be able to glean some points of truth that you're able to talk to your children. Uh, Number two, if you're a recent divorcee, uh, how many of you guys know that even if you are a recent divorcee, that there's still a path, path to wholeness regarding marriage in your future, okay? There's still a path to wholeness, so that's going to be for you. And number three, um, if you are married and possibly your current marital status, your relationship is a bit shaky, um, possibly because you have woundedness that's coming up in your now, so we're going to be talking about that, hopefully, this morning as well. I want to say something that's quite staggering is over half of our high school students right now in America are sexually active, half. So if you have two kids, statistics says one out of two of your kids are sexually active right now. Um, And I think the problem is, is because we as the body of Christ have not had a loud enough voice concerning this. In my church growing up, the pastor never told me the why behind the no so if you are taking notes the title of this morning is the why behind the no they never told me the why the behind the no they just told me not to do it they told me that I shouldn't have premarital sex that it's sin don't do it don't do it don't do it and the problem is as a 12 13 14 year old teenager coming up there is a sexual appetite that's being formed in me right that is totally contradictory to what I'm being told by my pastor. Don't do it, but everything in my body is telling me to do it, right? So there's this sense of curiosity that comes up within me, and I'm like... Why are they telling me not to do this? Besides that the Bible says it's wrong. You know, the Bible says that it's wrong. The Bible says that premarital sex is sin. And did you know that it actually gives you many reasons why it's wrong? And no one explained to me the reasons behind the no. They just told me don't do it. And when I tell you not to do something, there's going to be a sense of curiosity that comes up, and human nature is like, what are you withholding from me, right? Right. You're telling me not to do something. You're telling me not to go down this direction. What are you hiding from me, right? So my first experience with hearing about this was very skewed. True story. I'm nine years old. I told you I would do this, too. They told me I wouldn't do it. I said, I'll do it on Sunday morning. I'll tell the story. They say, you won't. I said, I will. I will. Right? Nine years old. Blue Water Elementary. You remember that? Blue Water Elementary? I, my mom's freaking out about it. I mean, you should have seen the look on her face. Like, what are you about to say? Nine years old. I'm about to walk into this program called the Changes Program. Right? And... Um, they were going to be discussing the biology of the man, the biology of the woman, obviously little boys and little girls were separated and they were going to be talking about points of truth regarding that to each particular sex. And before this changes program, we were all so excited about this, a little bunch, of, imagine a little boys huddling up, right? Right in the back corner of the room talking about what we're about to talk about. We didn't have a clue what was about to be discussed in elementary school in my classroom. But my best friend, Tyler, okay, he comes up to me. He says, hey, MJ. They called me MJ back in that day, too. They still call me MJ today. He said, uh, you, you, know what, you know what sex is, right? And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just still trying to figure that out. He goes, I'm going to tell you what it is. And I said, well, what is it? He says, well, you stick it in and you pee. I said, you pee? You stick it in and you pee, right? So that was my first introduction to what premarital sex was, right? And that is totally off color, right? If you're hearing this for the first time, I hope you're not a child in here, but that's not what it is, okay? That's not what you do. Mucho problems right? Okay, and then as a middle schooler as a high schooler I'm growing up and I'm hearing from my friends that the more you do it the cooler you are The more notches you have on your belt the more man you are If you want to be cool if you want to be popular man, you just need to have sex with as many women as possible So as a child at nine, hearing from my friend what sex was or what really was not, and then as a middle schooler and high schooler, going through puberty, going through becoming a man, I'm hearing that I need to do it as much as possible. And all my youth pastor would say is don't do it. So culture's telling me one thing. MTV's telling me one thing. Late night Cinemax is telling me one thing. Pornography is telling me one thing. The internet's telling me one thing. Culture is telling me all these things regarding what sex is and what sex is not. My church is silent about it. And when the church is silent about it, we allow culture to define it. I'm not going to let culture define it. We should have the loudest voice what it is. But for some reason, we're afraid of it. And I call it the fig leaf conspiracy. It's, listen, it's not by coincidence that Adam and Eve, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And from that moment on, even the church of Jesus Christ, we have covered our mouths regarding that premarital sex is wrong. But real legitimate sex in marital matrimony between a man and a woman is a gift, a beautiful gift from God. Our voice cannot be muzzled we have to talk about it here we have to talk about it here more than they talk about it in culture so number one Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them then God blessed them he blessed them and God said to them Be what? Fruitful and multiply. We can stop right there. Listen, this is crazy. The first thing that God told the humans he created by the name of Adam and Eve was to have sex. First thing God said, go get it. (laughs) Adam, boy, go get you some. Why? Number one. That God created, he invented sex. God invented it. What does that mean by the inventor? The inventor knows the most about the product he creates. Come on. The inventor knows most about the product he creates. So God created this. And the first thing he said was, hey go have sex go enjoy it and let me say this sex is not just for procreation it's not just for reproduction it's worship hello it's worship because ready i tell them, I, I ask my students this in the school of ministry all the time i say hey what's the highest expression of worship on earth and some of them say when we pray or when we get on our face before god and most of them say When we uplift our hands and worship, that's the highest expression. And I always tell them, that's only half the image of God. That's half the image of God. As a man, if I lift up my hands and worship, that's cool. But I only, in that moment, depict half the image of God. But the first thing that God told Adam and Eve was to have sex. The first thing that Adam and Eve did was have sex. The first thing that Adam and Eve did was to worship. Because when they came together as one, as one... In marriage in intimacy in sex literally what happened was they were depicting the fullness of God's image male and female he created them for this reason they shall come together as one so Adam is half the image of God Eve is half the image of God the first thing that God told them to do was to have sex in marriage right in covenant But also to worship. So when two people come together and worship, that's the highest expression of worship is sex in marriage on this earth. And that's the only way that the image of God can be reproduced. Uh Uh-oh. That's the only way that a little baby, a seed, the image of God can be reproduced, right? Through the shedding of blood, through covenant, in marriage, in worship, and then the fullness of God's image is reproduced in the earth. First thing he said was to worship. So sex is worship. Sex was invented by God. So what happened? They worshiped. They had sex. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3. I don't have time to talk about it, but they fell. How did they fall? They fell because the accuser, the serpent. In Hebrew, it means neshash. It means whisper. It means soothsayer. He's the original false prophet. He comes into the garden and he literally says, oh, so there's something missing from your life, right? And see, we always get mad at them. We always get mad at Adam and Eve because through them, sin entered into the world. Actually, through Adam, the Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, by one man, sin entered into the world because the sin nature is actually passed on through the giving of the seed, which is by the way of the man. And we always get mad at them. But I'll just tell you this. Can I give you a confession? If my beautiful blonde was sipping a pina colada in the garden naked, I would have listened to her and fallen too. I do have to say that, right? I would have fallen too. Adam fell. And then what happened? Everything was perverted from that moment on. Sex was perverted because sin came into the world. And then now we're dealing with this beautiful gift that God invented, that he gave his creation, that he gave all of mankind. And now it's perverted. And then we think that God's withholding something from us. He's, he's withholding something. no, 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 no. He's not withholding anything from us. Do you know what perversion means? It means the right version too early, perversion. So the enemy wants to take this gift from God And he wants you to do it when you want to do it. That's perversion. That's the right version too early. That's the right version outside of covenant, right? So number two, God is not against pleasure. He is against destruction. God is not against pleasure. He's all about it. He created it. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to feel good. He wants you to embrace it pleasure but not at the expense of your personal destruction not at the expense of your family not at the expense of your future so let's read about a very sexually charged group of people in first corinthians chapter 6 first corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 first corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised us up, the Lord, and will also raise us up by his own power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You can stop there. Everyone say joined. Can you put up that Greek slide? Amanda, do you have it? Look at this. The word join is the Greek word kaleo, and it means to glue or to stick, or to keep company. This is very interesting. See, the Church of Corinth was a group of people that were radically baptized with the Spirit of God. Radically. But they were coming out of polytheism. They were coming out of immorality. I mean, you talk, like, it's the Las Vegas of that culture. All right? It's the red-light district of Amsterdam in this particular time period word the corinthians they're radically delivered from this but how do you how many of you guys know that even though you might be delivered from egypt sometimes egypt still has to be delivered out of you right sometimes you're delivered from darkness right but that residue of that darkness is still hanging around right so you have this group of people the corinthians and they're coming in and they're hearing the gospel and stuff but they're still a little bit fleshy you can read about this in 1 corinthians chapter 5 the chapter Uh, previously written by the apostle paul but he uses sexual morality and he's saying look it's not just physical it's not just two people coming together to have fun when not there's consequences and he says don't you know that if you join yourself to a woman that is not your wife you become glued with her you become stuck with her the Greek word says you keep company with her, and that's why there's so much pain through one-night stands, and there's so much pain even when two people maybe date without covenant is because what happens is God says, you're married without covenant. God says, you're married without covenant. Because the moment that consummation happens, it's the moment that God views you as married, but because there's no covenant there, there's no commitment there, literally, there is, it's a physical touching, but there's an intermingling of souls, and then even the spirits touch, and what happens is, there is a transference of things from one person to the next. Culture calls them soul types, the only thing is soul types The only time it's really alluded to in the Bible, it's positive. It's it's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That was a positive reference to this. But in this context, Paul doesn't say soul ties. He says, no, it's worse. You're glued. You're joined. You keep company with this person. And that's why when two people become unstuck without covenant, without commitment, it causes them literally to go crazy. I asked the Lord, I said, God why does this hurt so bad why does this leave my heart aching he says because premarital sex outside of covenant leaves you heavy and empty and i said heavy and empty that kind of sounds very contradictory like what is that he says yeah it leaves you heavy of the other person and empty of yourself what's in them goes in you if you wonder why you, you you deal with anger because you've joined yourself to angry people, you, you wonder why I never had a depressed problem in my life. I've never been clinically depressed, but yet I'm dealing with issues in my mind because you've joined yourself to someone that that issue. The two become glued; they become one. You wonder why you can't stop thinking about that person. I didn't even know him. Like I didn't, I didn't even really get to experience intimacy at that high god-like level through conversation he says no it doesn't matter they're keeping company in your mind because you've experienced this way too early god is not against pleasure he's against destruction he knows that literally there's a damaging of your soul that's why number three says sex sins damage your soul This context of scripture says sexual sins are different than any other sin. It says that he who commits sexual sin sins against his own body. Sins against his own body. And I'm not saying that there's a God, there's a judge in heaven that's like, oh, you're worse. You're going to hell quicker because you've committed sex. He's not saying that. But he's saying, look, there's greater consequences in your physical life in the now if you do this. There's greater consequences in soul. You open yourself to spiritual trauma. You're opening yourself up to things that God says you're not, whoa, hallelujah, thank you, for cat-like reflexes. That's why preachers got to squat, you know what I'm saying? Because they got to be ready for that, right? My wife's like, please don't do that again, ever again. <laughs> you open yourself up to the stuff, and he's trying to save you from this. Number four, number four sexual sins create an appetite too early uh-oh create an appetite too early what does this mean it says you know how it starts off this context in first corinthians 6 it says that food is for the stomach and the stomach is for foods but god shall do away with them both i didn't really understand that until i was watching blakely almost six and a half years ago eat and i was looking at this text i was pondering this text and literally i'm feeding her oatmeal and the Lord's like, hey, you know how your daughter has, she's drank milk for six months and now solid food is not just now being introduced into her diet. And the more she eats solid food, like, the less she'll drink milk because you're introducing something into her appetite. That's why Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4 says, don't awaken love before it so desires. Why? Because you can't put that joker back to bed. That's why when a 13-year-old experiences sex for the first time, they're gonna keep having sex. You wanna know why? They have awoken an appetite in their body and in their mind that is not designed during that time. So we create an appetite too early. I love what Andy Stanley says about this. He says, sexual desire is not a problem to be solved. It's an appetite to be managed, a God-given appetite. See, how many of us, if we have a teenager coming up to the altar that they said 15 times in one pastoral counseling session at the altar, I just want to have sex. We would think that they're dealing with the spirit of lust. They're not dealing with the spirit of lust. They're a teenager dealing with an appetite. They're a teenager dealing with an appetite. I'm going to say, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have a spirit You have something called the flesh that God tells you to kill every day by way of the Holy Spirit. There's something called self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And without it, you're going to fall day in and day out. See, and we want to shy away from this. We want to say, oh, man, oh, no. We tell them, that's your appetite. That's God-given. You embrace that. You hold on to that. You protect that and then at the right time you can offer that so it creates an appetite too early so the why behind the no why does God tell us not to do this not just no don't do it but why is we are not designed to carry the weight of another person before covenant has been established Let me show you something. I need a marriage. My boy. Come up here. Jeremy and Jamie Oosley, everybody. Give them a little bit of love. All right. You guys stand, like, right here. Okay. So face each other, like. Okay. Okay, they pretend they're at the altar. Okay. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Golly y'all want a room like right now <laughs> <laughs> pretend they're getting married they're married the reason why the ni- why behind the is you're not designed to carry the weight of another person before covenant has been established is because how many of you guys understand that covenant is god's idea right can you say amen, amen. so if covenant is god's idea god is the trinity inside of this covenant Uh uh-oh god is the trinity inside of this covenant god is the pillar that holds this covenant up so there's hope they might have had some baggage right jeremy might have brought they're saying yeah a lot of baggage they might have brought a lot of baggage into this she might have brought a lot of baggage into this but with god in the center As the pillar, he's like, I got you, I got you. I'm going to be the pillar that holds this marriage up because when we do it God's way, when we have covenant God's way, he is the pillar that holds both parties' baggage up so they don't crush and break and fall on each other and their marriage is destroyed. But what happens is when they come together without God in the center, guess who's in the middle of fornication? Satan And Satan might allow it to hold it up for a little bit, right, through infatuation and soulish emotions, but he's going to leave that, and then that's why you have so many couples, they fail because they don't do it God's way. because God is not in the center of fornication. God is in the middle of covenant, holding both parties' baggage up. Come on, that's a good word. You guys can sit down. So We talked about the why behind the no. We talked about it. But what do you do if you've fallen? Some of you are like, you should have called it the why before the no. Because I've experienced the no. And now through experiencing the no, through experiencing the pain, premarital sex, I get it. But what do you do if you've already fallen? What do you do? If you've already given yourself over to that. Any message that does not inspire hope is under the influence of the wrong spirit. So let's talk about hope after sexual purity is lost. So God really is not into maintaining your virginity. He's into sustaining your purity. Because when I talk to teenagers, look at this. You want to know they want to know? How close to the line can I get without falling over? (laughs) And there is, whoa, there's no, there's no such thing as technical virgins. Well, I'm technically a virgin. What does that even mean? So they want to know the line. Hey, pastor, how close can I get to the line? You know what I'm saying? And I, no, 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 no. God, it's, it's, yes, it's about virginity, but it's about Purity. Because if it's about purity, you'll never even get close to the line of losing your virginity. And adults, that goes for you too. It's about your purity. It's about what you're doing in your office when your wife has gone to bed. Purity before God. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Some translations say fornication. That's a bad translation. Because sexual morality is this broad umbrella that touches on everything related to impurity regarding sexual activity. It's porn. It's homosexuality. It's fornication. It's adultery. He's saying, when you separate yourself from these. And this is, where, this is where we really, I feel like, drop the ball in the church. Because a lot of times we say, no, 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 no. And we're saying, be separate, be separate, be separate. But did you know that sanctification is not being just separated from something? Listen, it's being consecrated unto something. My God. It's not just being separated from the act, but it's being joined to Jesus Who life, grace can flow into your body and then you can tell yourself no. Because if you spend your time saying no, then that is called law. That is called legalism. I want to spend my life saying yes. Yes to him. Because the no's in the yes. So it's not just about just not having sex. It's about your purity, number two. When purity is tainted or lost, we tend to devalue ourselves and treat ourselves as used merchandise. That's where that cycle happens. It's lost. The guilt and the shame comes in. And then what happens is they listen to the wrong voice. And then they give themselves away, him or her, as used merchandise. Romans chapter 1 says, what is that? Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It says, as even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased, that's the same word as reprobate mind, to do those things which are not fitting. That word debased means a loss of value. So what happens is when we give ourselves over to the things that are contrary to god's word god says okay i'm going to honor your choice but your mind is going to be filled with a devalue system for yourself and what happens is we keep giving ourselves over to the act because we feel worthless we feel worthless i've counseled multiple men coming out of pornography addiction And the lie of the enemy is always, you've only had two days clean, you're still dirty, you might as well do it again. So this shame in the mind creates a dysfunctional habitual lifestyle because we feel like we've lost value in the sight of God. This goes for the man that's 50 that has been struggling with porn for 20 years, and this goes for the 14-year-old that just lost her virginity a week ago she feels devalued. And then she feels like that she can't offer herself in purity before her God and before her future husband because she's been lied to. But you remember where I said that there's hope? In Hebrew culture, there's something called the we Everyone say hoopah. The hoopah was literally at the altar where two people came together in covenant, and commitment. And it had four pillars, four pillars. And then it had a sheet over the ceiling that hanged down that represented the bedroom. It represented the covenant of commitment. And it also represented the bedchamber of consummation. And it was Hebrew culture that two people came together. And listen, stay with me not just two people, but two families. And the two shall become one. This is talking about the the family of the bride and the family of the groom. They would come together as one. This is where you had treaties. This is where you had truces between two families. We all know the medieval shows between England and France. It's the princess would marry the prince, and then you have two Countries that now joined together as one and they were allies. Well, this was not a France and England thing This was a Jewish a Hebrew thing two families coming together as one and what would happen is in ancient culture the sheets would come down and they would have a bed after the commitment and you couldn't see in it wasn't anything weird like that but the two families would be outside and it was the father of the groom that wanted to make sure that he saw blood the father of the groom wanted to make sure that his son was cutting covenant with a pure bride and in this moment you had a groom and you had a bride the sheets were down families are anticipally waiting And the bride begins to weep. She begins to weep. Tears coming down her cheeks. Because she has had a past of immorality. And now she's supposed to be coming together in covenant with her groom. And she knows that the father of the groom is wanting to see blood. And the father is outside the hoopah saying, son, is she clean? And she's weeping and the son is staring at her waiting for her to talk. And right when she can find the voice, right when she can find the courage to say, I haven't kept myself. I am not pure on this night. Meanwhile, the father of the groom, son, at this point, he's starting to get a little aggravated because something is just not right. Son, is she clean? And the son says, Hey, let my blood become your blood. He cuts his arm. He sheds blood on the sheet, picks up the sheet, puts it outside of the hoopah and says, Father, she's clean. And the Father is satisfied. What does that mean for us? That means that even if you've given it away, that the Son's blood is your blood. Jesus' blood shed for you makes you all good before the Father. It's the Son's blood that purifies the bride. See, we weren't without spot or recall. Even if we kept ourselves before marriage, the Bible says our righteousness was but filthy rags, right? But there is a God in heaven that has taken up the sacrifice of his Son's own blood, and that is for salvation, and that is also for sexual immorality. Jesus' blood is sufficient today. Jesus' blood will be sufficient tomorrow. Even if you've given it away, even if you're unpure, even if you're wrestling with this appetite and you can't seem to get free from it, the blood of Jesus Christ purifies you. Hallelujah. So can everyone stand up? Pastor Dan, can you come up for a little bit? In my experience with giving altar calls for this kind of stuff, nobody comes up. <laughs> so we're not going to do that this morning. Let me, uh, let me give you a couple more scriptures, okay? Our bridegroom's shed blood satisfies the Father's requirement for our lost purity. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. That means he brings the value back into our life. Remember when we give it away, we devalue ourselves. Romans 1, the blood brings value back into our life. Number two, Romans 5, 8. It says God demonstrates his own love towards us And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 says that we were justified freely by the grace found in his blood. That means that the righteousness of Christ becomes our righteousness. That the purity of Jesus becomes our purity, right? Number three, Romans 8.1. We have now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That literally means that the price that Jesus paid... Lifted the weight and lifted the requirements of the law and lifted the guilt and the shame off of us so that this could occur. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. In that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ come on right here just just hold on just a second listen 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 i I just told you not to and i did i'm sorry (laughs) the last one is so powerful because when you feel like you have no value because of sexual immorality you feel the weight and the guilt from those acts of breaking god's law The last thing that you want to do is come into the presence of God. Because there is this invisible wedge that separates us from coming to the throne of grace. And Ephesians 2 says, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus causes you to have proximity with the Father. See, it's... I'm telling you, sexual sin is something that makes you feel so far away from God. Ask me how I know. I heard it. I know it makes you feel like God is angry with you and mad at you and that you've lost value. But Ephesians 2 says, yeah, you were once way over there. But the blood of Jesus makes you right there sitting on your father's lap on the throne of grace. So there's hope this morning. Can everyone just close your eyes for me real quick? Just close your eyes. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what I cannot do. God, I pray for those in here that may be needed to hear the why behind the no because they're right there at the line. And they're considering whether they just want to go ahead and dive off. Or there's parents, there's men struggling with sexual sin. If there's people in here that are dating again, and maybe this was just the perfect word for the season. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pierce. I pray that you would penetrate. I pray that you would do what a man cannot do, and that is to speak within their own hearts. I pray right now that hearts would be restored by grace. All you have to do, men and women of God, is to acknowledge your need for grace and grace will show up in that moment. You don't have to be at an altar. You don't have to have hands laid on you and pray for 45 minutes and labor and tarry. All you have to do is acknowledge your need for the grace of Jesus to meet you where you're at. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would pierce and I pray that you would penetrate the hearts of men and women. I pray that condemnation would be lifted. I pray that shame would be lifted, God. Father, I pray that the voice and the affirmation and the pleasure of the Father would be the only voice that echoes and resounds in the conscience of men and women, God. And they would say, I have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I have value by the blood of Christ. I have no condemnation because of the blood of Christ. I am a son or a daughter of God that has access freely to the throne because of the blood of Christ. Because the groom's blood became my blood. The groom's blood became my covenant blood that gave me access. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for today. And I pray that you would bless your people in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.